Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. All right, well, we are in this series called Supporting Cast, and the story that we're going to look at today puts an idea out on the table, and it's this. Sometimes we, as individuals, are the unfavored one. At different moments in life, we hit these moments where we are the unfavored one. So when I was in high school, um, I had a group of friends that I'd kind of connected with throughout junior high, and, and we were just, we were pretty tight, pretty close. Uh, and I came to trust Jesus in junior high and was growing in my faith. And about the time high school rolled around, uh, th- there was just uh, something starting to shift in our relationships. And, and there came a moment where I started to sense or realize they were spending time without me. They were getting together and kind of hanging out and, and weren't inviting me. And, and I do think it was because of my faith. I think we were starting to go different directions and, and there was just some tension with that. And, and I tried not to let that be a problem, but there were just these moments where they just wanted to hang out without me. And I'll tell you what, when I realized that, that hurt That moment when I realized, like, oh, they'd rather not spend time with me, that hurt. Like, these are my friends. These are people I hung out with, and it's like, oh. I had that moment where I was the unfavored one. I wasn't in their good graces. I wasn't really connected, and it just, like, ooh, stings. Have you had that happen to you? You can probably think of similar kinds of things, go back to high school or junior high, and and you can walk in the cafeteria, and, and you were either that person or you would see that person sitting by themselves. Nobody was around them and just not favored. Maybe you feel that in your job. You're, you're working hard, but it's just like you can't seem to break through. Nothing seems to, to push over that hump, whatever that is. Like, just not any favor there. Or maybe it's, it's a relationship. You know, you've been dating someone and there's love there, but it doesn't seem to be reciprocated. Or even worse, you're in a toxic kind of relationship. And it's unhealthy. There's just not favor. The story we're going to look at today, that's our character. She is unfavored. She is the one who's experiencing this unfavorableness. That's her story. And throughout this series, what we're doing is we're looking at these characters, sometimes people we haven't really spent much time with, haven't really studied deeply before, but we're seeing over and over that they are this. They are ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And today, our story, we're going to be looking at the story of Leah. Leah is this unfavored person, yet God is extraordinary in this. And we're going to see that God is not content to just leave things like that. See, when you hit these moments where you are unfavored, what does God have to say to that? He wants to say, this is not who you are. This does not define you. This is not your status. That's what we're going to learn today. So I invite you, if you would, turn with me into your Bibles, into Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29 Now, this is the first book of the Bible, so it's easy to get to. Chapter 29, we're going to be looking at the story of Leah. 
And we'll be primarily looking at verses 16 through 35. Now, as we dive into this, I kind of want to like, set the stage of what's happening here. Because it does matter a little bit of the, the context. So, Jacob is probably a name you've heard. But he is one of the kind of patriarchs of the faith. So, he is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham's the one that God said, I want to build a family through you. And I'm going to raise that family up to become a nation. Well, then he has Isaac, who has Jacob. And Jacob is a twin, and he's the younger twin. His older brother, Esau, was born just a few minutes before him, but their relationship is one of tension. There's all this back and forth, and and Jacob is described as a deceiver. He's not really a good guy. And essentially what he's done is he's grown up, like the way it worked back then was the older brother, the the eldest son, would be the kind of leader of the family as generations passed. And so this leader would get a double portion of inheritance. They would get to make decisions. And like they, they were the patriarch. That was supposed to be Esau. Until Jacob deceived his father Isaac. And Isaac thought he was blessing his older son Esau. But it was really Jacob. And he took that blessing and he says, ha ha, here's the promise for me. And that infuriated Esau. And so Jacob fled. His mom said, here, go to my brother, your uncle Laban. Go live there for a while, like get out of town, like stay safe, but marry there. Don't, don't marry one of the other women kind of in this area, like we're foreigners, we don't belong here. Marry someone in the family. And so that's what Jacob does. He goes to Laban, and that's where our story picks up. So where we are is he's arrived at the fields where Laban's flocks are, and he meets his shepherds and, and asks how things are. And then Jacob meets Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. And instantly, he falls in love with her. She's beautiful. He, he, he's really attracted to her. And he's like, I want to marry her. And so he goes to Laban and says, I want to marry your daughter. I want to marry Rachel. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. So look down with me at the second half of verse 14. We'll start there. So after Jacob had stayed with him, Laban, for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So pause there a second. So what we see here is kind of the introduction of all of our characters. Like Jacob's on the scene, Laban, his uncle. Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Now notice the contrast between the descriptions. Rachel is described as beautiful, and that's what attracts Jacob to her. But then the the text says that, that Leah had weak eyes. We don't exactly know what that means. It's a little ambiguous. Another word that it can be translated is tender. So this could be a kind of positive contrast, or it could be a negative one. Positive in the sense that, like, Rachel was very beautiful all the way around, but Leah had beautiful eyes, very tender, delicate eyes. Or it could be, like, a euphemism to say, like, she had weak eyes, she wasn't all that beautiful. And that's typically how a lot of people have read it. We're not sure, but the point is not so much that she's beautiful or not. It's that Jacob loved Rachel and not Leah. And so what happens is he's like, okay, I'm going to work. I'm going to work for you, Laban, for seven years. And the text tells us that that seven years goes by so fast for Jacob. It's like days. 
because he's so excited, he's committed to this, and it's like nothing for Rachel. And so the day comes, it's like, I've worked seven years, it's time to marry. And so Laban's like, okay, let's put together a wedding feast and do the whole thing. And so sure enough, they do that. Now this involves lots of partying, lots of drinking, and we presume that Jacob got pretty drunk. And so the wedding night comes, and typically what the bride is addressed is she's veiled. She's covered up, and, and that's just part of the way they, things happen. And so that's what, what happens leading up to the wedding night. And we're told that the next morning, Jacob wakes up and discovers not Rachel, but Leah. Leah is there. Now, if you haven't heard this story before, you're probably like, what is going on? Like, this is kind of crazy and all that kind of stuff. We get the dialogue between Jacob and Laban. And so jump down with me to verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now, remember what we described Jacob as. He was described as the deceiver. He has lived a life where he has been deceiving and playing and manipulating people. Well, now he's reaping some of what he's sown. He's suffering some of the consequences. Laban now deceives him. And it's not a good thing. Like, all of this is a mess. But he's deceiving him. Here's what Laban replies. Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Now, this all came after the fact. Laban is totally manipulating and pulling strings. He's doing what, uh, to Jacob what he has done to other people. And so this is just messy. But I want to highlight something. It's very likely, this text doesn't tell us, but it's very likely Leah was in on it. Leah made this choice. She wasn't kind of really hoodwinked. Yeah, her father probably pressured her, but like, she got married. And then the text later tells us, down in verse, oh, let's read, begin, uh, begin at 28. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban also gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Right here, we just get the contrast. This is reality. He loves Rachel, and he doesn't love Leah. And imagine what that feels like. Put yourself in her shoes. It has been seven years of building to this. It's not just like, oh, it kind of happened. It's like, okay, well, whatever. Like, no. The prospect of your younger sister getting married before you, that didn't happen. It was avoided in this culture. But I think she fell in love with Jacob along the way. And she loves him. And he doesn't love her. Later on, we're, we're the description of how her children are named and all that stuff. She continually points back to, like, maybe now he'll love me. Maybe he'll get, I'll get his attention. Like, she's longing for this. She is unfavored. And this has been going on for years. Imagine what that feels like. Sometimes... We are unfavored. 
we are the unfavored ones. We'll hit moments in life where we experience that. I talked about that in high school, like that, maybe you connect with that story. Well, even a little more recently, several years ago when my wife and I, we'd finished seminary, we were applying to churches and just trying to discern, like, Lord, where are you going to take us? What's our first ministry? Where are we going to be? And we got uh, pretty serious with a few churches, but one in particular. There was a church that we applied to and we visited and we were feeling really good about this and, and things seemed to be going well. And we got to the point where it's like we kind of did that final visit and we started to look at houses like, we're going to move. We're just getting ready. And I get a phone call. We're actually going to go a different direction. Totally blindsided me. We thought, like, this was going to be it. Like, this was the church, but it wasn't. And that hurt. And again, we, we had gotten to the place where we thought, like, this was going to work out. It was going to be a good fit and all that. And it didn't. And, and sometimes that's the way it needs to be. Like, I really look back and I think, that's not where we should have been. But in the moment, it's like, I'm not the favored one. I'm not the one they're choosing. They're saying no. And that hurts. What is this for you? These moments where you've experienced the lack of favor. Where you've seen someone else step forward. Someone else picked. Someone else get attention and not you whether it's in a relationship or at work, these different moments where we're just not receiving favor. It hurts. It stings. It cuts deep, doesn't it? What does God have to say about moments like these? When God steps in, what does he have to say? Like, what is his verdict on something like this? God shows favor to the unfavorable. God shows favor to the unfavorable. Look down with me at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. The Lord looks at Leah, sees that she's not loved, and what does he do? He enables her to conceive. Now, at that time, this was a really big deal. See, back then, life revolved so much around family, around children, about creating the next generation. Life was centered on that. Both men and women, but especially for women, this was one of their primary tasks. And to not have children was a very shameful thing. It was a hard thing. And, and sometimes it was interpreted as like something you did wrong. What God does here is he looks at Leah and sees that she is unloved. And allows her to have children. Allows her to experience the favor in that culture. God sees her. And notice the language. He sees her. And so she's able to have kids when Rachel's not. Rachel's the favored one, but here God subverts that. Now I want to take a real quick moment to pause on that, that concept of how favor works, especially in the Bible. See, what's happening here is something that's, that's changing the pattern. Typically, in that culture, the, the older one, the older son, the older daughter would kind of get attention first. Like, okay, you're the older one, we're, we're going to start with you. And typically, that's where favor rested, the older one. 
That's typically where the inheritance was passed through. They'd be the leader of the family. We talked about that. But what you see in Genesis, even up to this point, is that God is undoing that pattern. God has been using the unfavored one to carry out his promises. Look at Jacob. God did choose to work through Jacob, but he's the second born. It should have been Esau. It should have been the older one. Like, that's the one that you're supposed to go through. That's the line. That's, that's the family, like, leadership right there. But God says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Jacob. And Jacob's not a good guy. It's not like, oh, he's the better person here. Like, no, Jacob's worse. But God says, I'm going to work through you. And you see him doing that over and over again in the scriptures. God using the unfavored, the one on the outside, the marginalized person. Even when the, the, the nation of Israel, they're coming into the land, they're going to take over this, this place that God's giving to them, but it's a Gentile, a prostitute who helps them, Rahab. She helps them get into the city. She helps them start this campaign, and she receives favor. God often uses those who don't receive favor to receive favor. But what we see here is that it's the firstborn which is kind of subverting the subversion, right? Rachel's the one who's favored. She's loved by Jacob. He is giving her his attention. Leah's been cast off to the side. So what God does is he steps in and starts to show her favor. This is the way that God operates. He shows favor to those who don't deserve it, who shouldn't warrant it, who we wouldn't expect to receive it. That's what God does. He shows favor to the unfavorable. So pick up back in our story, he's showing favor to Leah. Well, what happens next? It's interesting to see how this all plays out. So back at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She takes this gift from God and begins to think on it for Jacob. Oh, now he's going to love me. And that's what happens with these first few kids that she has. Verse 33, she conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. See, all of this favor that God is granting her with these kids, she's redirecting it to earn favor with Jacob. It's all about him. It's all about getting his attention. She wants so desperately his love. She wants his favor. But imagine, three sons, over the course of a few years, it's not happening. It's unrequited. Nothing is moving forward. Then we see a shift. The next son that is born is Judah. And here's, notice a little bit of the difference of what happens. Verse 35. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time... I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. 
This time I will praise the name of the Lord. Did you notice the difference? Over and over again, it was about Jacob and like, I want his love. Maybe he'll accept me. Maybe he'll be attached to me. But this time, this time, I will praise Yahweh. I will praise Yahweh. Now, this is significant. The original readers would have instantly picked up on this. And if you kind of know the story, you might be picking up on it too. Who is Judah? Judah's the fourth born, but Judah's special. When Jacob is dying, he's blessing his children. He's saying, like, here's some, some good news I want to proclaim over you, and I just want to affirm who you are and what God's going to do from you. He says something unique for Judah that we see play out. He says, the scepter will never pass from your hands. Interesting concept. What we see through Judah's children, the kings arrive. David is in the line of Judah. Solomon, the kings of Israel, would come from the line of Judah. God is blessing this line to say, like, I'm going to work through them to bring about rulers and kings who will lead Israel. And ultimately, we see Jesus through the line of Judah. It's in this posture that Leah acknowledges, okay, I'm going to let this go. I'm surrendering. I'm, I'm not holding fast to this anymore. This time, I praise you, Yahweh. And in that, God blesses her in ways she will never imagine. He will bring kings through her, through her son Judah. He would bring Jesus, who would address the issue of unfavorability forever. You see, when Jesus shows up, he comes, he starts preaching and proclaiming, and he goes to get baptized, and something special happens in that moment. God himself shows up and speaks. People could hear it. And he says, this is my son, whom I love. I am well pleased with him. Favor. Favor on Jesus. And Jesus takes that. And then he says to us, I'm the favored one. I'm going to trade places with you. Because right now, in this reality, we're unfavored. We've broken trust. We've broken relationship. Like, we kind of go our own way. We're sinful beings. And we fall out of favor with God. We're not operating with him the way we're supposed to. And, and we're, we've breached the relationship. Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to give you my favor. And I'm going to take your unfavoredness I'm going to put that on me, and I'm going to be put to death. And now forever that is gone. For those of us who trust and follow Jesus, we align with him, we receive his favor. It's a gift. He offers it freely. He says, I choose you. I love you. I extend this to you. No matter what you've done, here is favor. Would you choose me? Would you stick with me? Would you align with me? I want to give you all the favor that I can. That's what Jesus does. He extends us favor, and that all comes through the line of Judah. This moment, this posture that Leah took where she acknowledged the Lord. She surrendered to him. And she says, okay, I let go. I receive your favor. God works in that to bring about favor for all of us. 
So in these moments where you feel like, man, I'm not favored, I, I'm not receiving good from this, like I'm, I'm on the outside, that does not define you. Jesus is the one who defines you. And he steps in and says, I give you favor. I meet you right here and I grant it to you freely. That is what he brings to the table for us. So if that's true, if that's the reality, what do we do with that? What, what are we to, to do with this reality? I think it's this. It's to live in God's favor and extend it to others. We're to live in this favor that he freely gives us and we're to extend it to other people. You see, what happens with the story of Leah is unfortunate. this turns out to just be a moment. In the next chapter, we see Leah and Rachel going back and forth at it. They're trying to one-up each other, and there's competition, and Leah forgets this. And she tries to, to have more children through her servant, so does Rachel, and there's this competition, and they're, they're kind of fighting over who can have Jacob. She forgot the favor that God had for her. And unfortunately, her story ends by her just kind of fading we know that she passes away. There's a brief mention of that, but we don't get anything after she's done having children. Like, she just kind of fades into the background. She made her mark. God used her and showed her a lot of favor, but we don't see that story play out. She didn't live or rest in God's favor. That's what we're called to do. We're called to rest in this favor that he grants us. We're not to define ourselves by our circumstances, by our relationships, or by what other people think. We don't listen to Jacob. We listen to the Lord. We listen to what he has to say. And he says, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I am well pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. We're going to mess up. We're going we're gonna to screw this, this thing up. But we have his favor because of Jesus. We are to rest in that. Imagine if Leah had really just taken hold of this. She wouldn't be pining after Jacob. She wouldn't be so desperate for his attention. She would rather say, you know what? This stinks and it's not good. He shouldn't treat me like this. But I have the Lord and I have his favor and that is more than enough. Can we do that too? Can we rest, truly rest, in the favor that he grants us? Can we live in that reality? Now, please don't hear me say, oh, just dismiss your circumstance. Don't just dismiss all these problems. Like, there's some of you, these situations that are so hard. Some of you might be in really deep and tragic kinds of situations where you are, like, deeply unfavored. I don't mean to minimize that. But I am meaning to say his love and favor is so much bigger. It may take time to really rest in that, but just know that that is true and step forward into it. We don't need other people's favor because we have God's, and that is more than enough. So rest or live in God's favor, but it doesn't stop there. We're to extend it to other people. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He took the favor that he received from the Lord. You're my son. I love you. I am well pleased with you. 
and he granted that to other people. I mean, watch his life, how Jesus carried himself. He gave special attention to the marginalized, to the outsider, to the ones who were hated. The tax collectors are a great example. They were the people that nobody liked. Like, they were betrayers in, in people's minds. Like, they were not patriotic. Like, they rejected Israel and favored Rome. Like, nobody liked them. And Jesus ate with them. He gave them his attention. He showed favor to them. We're to model that too. We're to show God's love to the people around us. To those who normally don't have favor, we're to do that too. We're to extend the love that God has shown us to them. That is the kind of thing we are to do. We're to be his hands and feet. So, in these different situations that come, remember this idea. We're to live in God's favor and we're to extend it to other people. Maybe it's pure encouragement to you today where you're just like, okay, at work, I just can't seem to get ahead. I can't overcome whatever this barrier is. I don't even know what it is. I can't even see it. It's something's there and I just can't seem to cross it. Rest in the contentment that God has you. That doesn't mean you don't work, push hard, try to overcome. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But rest in who you are. Your identity does not come from your promotion, your status, or where you are on the corporate ladder. It comes from God. What he says about you. Rest in that. Work from that place. And whether it's a relationship Maybe you're just so desiring to have someone's favor, their attention, their love. Maybe you just need to completely let go of that and rest in the love that God has already given you. And maybe that means you break up with this person. Or if you're in a marriage where that's the the case, you reinvest and say, this has got to be how it is. This is not healthy. We need to make it healthy and stand up for yourself in that way. That might be what you need to do. Or maybe it's simply just going to the lunch table where no one else is sitting and sitting with someone. We extend favor. We live and rest in this favor. We're called to be the church, the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want you to picture the end of time when everything's all said and done. What's this going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth? It's going to be people who have received God's favor. That's who's there. Those who have rested in that, who've known this, and now enjoy it with other people. That's the kind of reality we're heading toward. That's the community that we're heading for. Let's picture that right now. Let's be a little signpost. Let's be a little taste for those around us of what God is like and how he wants to love and show favor to people. That's the good news. So church... Live in God's favor and extend it to others. Would you join me in a word of prayer?